With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Unspoken Issues. We're all ready right here on the Unspoken Issues podcast. We are going to be continuing the carnage we are heading straight into the carnage cosmic now that's not how i've never i've never known it to be called that i've always known it as cosmic carnage that's kind of how i always knew and then i get to reading these issues and lo and behold i learned something it's actually titled the carnage cosmic of course i'm not alone right here on the unspoken issues podcast we got dean compton from the unspoken decade dean compton you ready to talk some more carnage tonight we're going to get cosmic buddy yeah you know um i am ready and i noticed that too and i guess i should have known because it's like the power cosmic so i think that's what they're playing all the silver serpent does sound more dignified which carnage does not deserve any dignity but you know i mean he he's doing what he can with that cosmic awareness that cosmic power uh but yeah i'm definitely ready this is uh this was a lot of fun i'm glad i suggested it it was a uh Let's uh, a romp and a half, if you will. This is finishing up, I guess, the uh, Carnage Trilogy, I guess, is what we'll call it here for the yeah. Unspoken Issues podcast. I'm, I guarantee well, I you Carnage the- is going to be reappearing at some point. Go ahead. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's like, you know, we were talking off, uh, you know, in, in our chat earlier today because, you know, we got a lot of technology here. So we have a group chat. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I don't know. Watch out. Fire Nobody else emojis. has this technology. Emojis, gifts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, it's like, I can't believe we didn't do maximum carnage. And I just feel like, uh, maximum carnage gets covered a lot. There's a lot of stuff, but like, there's some other really good carnage stuff that happened around it. And, uh, and honestly, this is probably my favorite carnage story of all time. It really is just a lot of fun from start to finish. And I know I'm sure Daryl will have different opinions. He's got stronger opinions about the old, you know, Spider-Man section of the Marvel universe. But for me, this was, uh, pun intended, Pure carnage. Oh, look at I did it, gentlemen. I did it. He mentioned Derry. Derry's sitting right over there. Derry, I, I mean, I want to give you an opportunity to just say uh, maximum carnage was a thing at one point. It was a huge thing. I did it on my show, and it I swear to goodness, it took me a year to get through it because of so many parts and how much was involved. But uh, you know, what well, give me give me your thoughts on maximum carnage before we jump into the carnage cosmic. Uh yeah, I, I, I love Maximum Carnage. It was one of the first crossovers I remember buying when I started reading comics. But you you guys are absolutely right. It, it's it's less fun to cover that because everyone uh, knows of it even if they've only played the video game. So I feel like everyone's got that iconography, but I'm sure I can count on one hand the number of people who have read 
Carnage Cosmic. So this 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 was good because this gives us more to talk about that isn't just repeating what other people have said. You're all, yeah, so you this say Maximum Carnage lasted four months. Like you know what I mean? Or yeah. three months because it starts in Spider-Man Unlimited number one, ends in Spider-Man Unlimited number two, quarterly book. So like three months. One of the that, that's a lot. Like Jesse said, he must have. It spends a year. It guest stars everyone except Everywhere. the Punisher. For some for yeah. some reason, the Punisher can't make it to this. It's it's right up his alley. But yeah, Carnage Cosmic. Two issues and a what if, baby. That's and that, and that's what I was thinking when I started doing the reading for this, and I was like, oh crap, you know, it's only really two issues here of the main story, and then we get an alternate side of what could be, which is my absolute favorite uh, take on some of these stories is getting that what if treatment, and I like it. So that's what we're covering tonight. We're covering Amazing Spider-Man 430 and 431. These dropped and looks like cover dated uh, January of 98, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. That puts it about the end part of 1997. So our creative team on here, we have written by Tom DeFalco, might have heard of that name, penciled by Joe Bennett, inked by Bud LaRosa, lettered by Richard Starkings, and colored by Bob Sharon. And I believe that is the same creative team for both of the Amazing Spider-Man issues. And of course, we'll talk about the what if here in a few. I'll drop that creative team once we get to it. You know, you mentioned it was a trilogy before, and if you listen to all three of the episodes we did, Carnage, the introductory story, the Spider Carnage with uh, Ben Riley the clone, and and now this one, you you actually do kind of get an arc for the character of Carnage, uh, not because he has all that much agency, but you kind of see how he becomes an escalating threat, which is really interesting because he starts as this like Venom knock off this Venom spinoff very literally. And then he evolves to get to the point where it's like, oh, but he's going to be a threat to these other characters. Where here, he he literally is a world-ending menace, the level of where Spider-Man doesn't even normally fight. Right, so I really right. appreciated rereading all these close together as opposed to when they came out back in the day. So I, I think it does tell a story if, if we have new listeners and they want to go back and get the other two. I think you really hit it there. Like when Carnage starts, it's like he's he's Bugs Bunny, the Joker. And like he's just doing all these outlandish things as you, you know, the character actually does develop. You know, the Venom Carnage relationship, we don't see it here, but it, it develops in different spots. But one of the, but the storyline wise, I would almost compare it uh, to our wrestling fans to like The Undertaker and Kane. That when Kane mm -hmm. first starts, everything Kane does has to somehow center around The Undertaker. Everything is the, uh, you know, I mean, they're brothers, Undertaker, Kane killed their family. Oh my God, actually, it was Undertaker, blah, blah, blah. Good stuff. WWF 1997 but the point is is as time goes on Kane becomes his own thing as time goes on you don't need the Undertaker to spur a Kane story and I feel like as we as we've done our trilogy we've seen that you can now have a great Carnage story without Venom being you know being in it at all another thing that I would say is that you know these books have become very collectible uh this is uh this is a time when Marvel was uh not printing a bunch of books. Sales aren't great at this time. I wasn't able to buy comics at this time regularly because there was no comic book store with 150 miles of me. But the way people say it, and Derry probably bought these off the rack, is there was also a feeling in the Marvel Universe that, like, I don't know. It, like you look at the cover, see, things seem kind of muddy and dreary to an extent. Like they just, it looks, it looks bad for whatever reason. Like literally when I look at the books from this era, they're being more cheaply produ produced. Than they were like three or four years earlier. And there's just yeah. a lack of fun. 
this is a lot of fun. This is this right. like really captures that early Marvel universe where like I don't think I ever thought that like Carnage could possess the Silver Surfer. It's like right. when Magneto fought Thor in the issue of Journey into Mystery, or when Loki showed up in Strange Tales of uh, and did some of Doctor Strange. It was just really expanding this this character into a greater part of the universe. The only other thing I'll say is like I'm not a big Tom DeFalco guy. I think he usually writes well, like fine, but like not excitingly. Like, you know what? You know, it will fill in all the gaps and there's nothing that will be wrong with. He's really good at craft. But sometimes I feel like his stories lack uh, excitement. This had a lot of excitement. I really appreciate it. might be my favorite thing that Tom DeFalco has ever written, which is no surprise because I think that with all the things that he's ever worked on, Spider-Man's probably his bread and butter. It's probably the best thing he he does. And I feel like this is a really, really great two issue. And he writes the what if as well. Dialogue's on point. The action's on point. Like everything comes together in a storyline to where Carnage, the Silver Surfer, Spider-Man, and the uh, approximately 36 supporting characters that are in it <laughs> all really have a good, distinct voice, and it all comes together where all the stories are moving. I would. This is the first the, of the of the trilogy. This is the one I'm most interested in the subplot. I'm mm-hmm. uh, just yeah, just you- reading them. You know, so I really got to give Tom DeFalco credit for really building uh, a really exciting. It's it's hard to get this much excitement and this much development into two issues. And goddamn, he pulled it off. It's funny, too, because this is the exact opposite of the way Maximum Carnage was told, which was dragged out for so long so that you could bring everyone in. And there's a lot of padding and there's a lot of fights off to the side with with other characters. But this is super. Carry on's got to get his shit in. Yeah, exactly. You got to fight Carry On. You got to fight the doppelganger. But this is super dense. This this could have been like an oversized one shot. They they get you in. They immediately bring the stakes up. He and he does to your point an excellent job at moving forward all the the ongoing plots. Because again, this is the period of time where there's still a Spider-Man book coming out every week. Uh, every you week. know, these are four thirty and four thirty one of Amazing Spider-Man. So all these things had to keep going. But this is a pretty tightly plotted storyline that uh, you know you could still pick up the next month and and see what was going to happen with Robbie and the others. And the other thing you pointed out, which I I actually wanted to mention, was, yeah, this is a really weird time in Marvel's history because 1998 is after the bankruptcy in 96. So they're clawing their way out, but they're not quite at their, like, renaissance period. You know, Joe Quesada. This is uh, the height of Ike Perlmutter, like, Costco. Yeah. We're getting yeah, rid of the water exactly. coolers. He wanted to drug test freelance writers, you know, like weird yeah. stuff was going on. Yeah, it's oh it's definitely a transition period. Um, you know, for, for Spider-Man in particular, they they had just killed the clone the previous year, but the following year in 1999, they would actually do a hard reboot of and get rid of all the titles and reduce it down to two a month and do a prototype of Ultimate Spider-Man in John Burns chapter one. Like there was a big reboot coming. So this is kind of hmm. like rearranging the, the the chairs on the Titanic to a bit but the the nice thing too is is you know these don't get revisited that often but this is good this is a gem so hopefully people who are like would skip this period of time normally and just pick it up when jms or bendis came on it's like no these these are good and and they reflect the times they came out of in the best way you're right too about this like it could have not just been an oversized one shot but I think it was going to be two years after this. DC does like the Emperor Joker storyline where the Joker gets like godlike powers. This could have just been a line wide crossover. I mean, honestly, Mm. which may have made it worse. Like, I'm not going to lie about it. It might have made it a story like because it really has a lot of impact because like you're saying, it's so condensed. But uh, but this is a big enough event to where when you see in the what if you're like, boy, this could have really, really went bad for the Marvel Universe. 
I mean, I don't know any other way I could work in. Wow, I wish the Punisher had been in this. So if it had been a line, why the Punisher had done something? I, no, I'm just, I I'm just messing about that. But you're right. Like it really, it really feels like a bigger deal than two issues, which is uh, all the more testament to how good the two issues are. Because it also doesn't feel like you also don't feel ripped off or cheated. Yeah. I had Emperor Joker written down. It's so funny that you say that, especially the what if, which we'll get to. But yeah, if this had come out a few later, this would have been this would have been a huge crossover. If this or came a few out years to- earlier. Yeah, exactly. If this had come out today, this would Donny Cates would have taken fifteen issues to tell this story, and there'd be a five issue tie in with like the X Men or whoever they were trying to promote. Like this has that potential of, you know, the unhinged serial killer gets the power cosmic. What is he going to do? For the most part, it's going to be shenanigans, but he also might murder Thor. Like, yeah, to your to your point, if this had come out any other time, it would have been this ridiculous over the top thing, and it might have been able to stand that. But yeah, Emperor Joker is a perfect example. We're like, that maybe should have been two issues, and that's what we get here. Yeah, and like you're saying, now it'd be like a 14-part thing. If it had come out in, like, 92, it would have been in all the annuals, like Atlantis Attacks or what have you. you yes, know? sir. Or it would have been like yeah. the Infinity Gauntlet with individual crossover yeah. issues. But this was just I a see. time when Marvel didn't really – not only didn't really have the money, but, like, editorially, it's kind of loose. You know I mean? Like, they're ending Marvelution. They don't really know what's going to happen. This is – Marvel Knights hasn't started up, or it's just, it's just about mm-hmm. – I guess Marvel Knights is uh, September of 98, August of 98, yeah. somewhere around there. So they're just getting that going. So it's not yeah. even to the Casada days. I feel like this is a, uh, you know, uh, th- this feels like the kind of thing like the X-Men's Inferno or when we did Dead Man's Hand, that if some other editors had heard about it, they would have wanted to play. But there wasn't that ability. And again, this is conjecture. So if an editor hears this, like, that's not how it was. Let us know. We'll read it and hear it. <laughs> but it feels like this is something that could have been bigger, but because of uh, just editorial uh, uncertainty at the moment it stayed where it was and that probably in my opinion makes it better right there you mentioned and i'm glad you brought this up i mean people going from our last episode to this one peter parker's back as spider-man spider-man i mean it never seems to be a dull moment so these two stories are titled savage rebirth and the carnage cosmic That synopsis is coming up, but first let me talk about Amazon Music. If you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs, Amazon Music has you covered. If you head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W, the number 2M Network, for that free 30-day trial. So like I said, never seems to be a dull moment in Spider-Man's life. As currently, there is a million-dollar reward on Spidey's head, set by his own employer, the Daily Bugle. I'm sorry, um, you say a million dollars? million dollars. So. I'll be right back. <laughs> this is great, because after dragging the Clone Saga out for years and demonizing it, they were finally like, well, how are we going to end this thing? And it's like, well, we got an entire generation of readers who don't know how much of a badass Norman Osborn was. So let's resurrect him for I... no reason whatsoever. He's going to kill the clone. The clone's going to die. We're going to rename one of the ongoing, the Todd McFarlane book. We're going to rename it Peter Parker. We're going to double down on our brand. And again, this is four or five years before the Sam Raimi movie. So we we don't have the market penetration. 
frustration we're about to get. But yeah, the, these books are just, you know, this is classic Spider-Man. It's like my, my brother clone was killed. My worst enemy came back and now he's my employer. And because of something that, you know, happened in another book, he put a million dollar bounty on his own. So now this is back to the, the old silver age. Spider-Man can't help anyone without them right. saying like, you know what, maybe I should turn you in. And, and again, you know, Spider-Man's got to sit down and say, is this worth it? And it's like, yeah, of course it's worth it. Even if the person right. you might save is going to try to turn you in, it's like you can't not do it because you're a crazy person in a full face mask. All that yeah. in college. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> grad school. That yeah, the, grad school, the, right? The guy who was his girlfriend, which is all like I went to college. And if you go to college single and you go to college and you have a girlfriend, it's a lot different. There's there different experiences. He's there with his wife. Who was there for some reason, even though last time I checked, she was a famous, world famous model. And she's there. They only get one scene in this issue or this story. But the, they mention a character, Jill. That is Jill Stacy. That is Gwen Stacy's heretofore unseen cousin who they oh, brought really? back because they wanted this thing to feel as much like the Silver Age as possible. So Peter is literally attending wow. ESU with Mary Jane and uh, a Stacy, but they're all like our age. <laughs> like, there's no right. reason to be. <laughs> then they need, right. There needs to be more like lidocaine patches then. <laughs> right. They're out there living it up in college. I'm like, do you have any ibuprofen? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's he's trying to avoid being spotted as spy uh, you know, a Spider-Man. He goes to meet up with MJ, who's quite upset. He's in costume with the price on his head. And of course, there's a little bit of drama there. Reassuring her everything is under control. Pete leaves his wife to head to his job at the Daily Bugle. Turns out some employees of the Bugle also aren't happy about the current bounty on Spidey's head, especially Robbie Robertson, who has been thinking of quitting. Now, help me out here. Is he uh, part owner of the Bugle now? How does Norman Osborn factor into the Bugle in this? Tell me. So Norman, when he came back, he had all his money. He had all his money and all his resources. He had whatever nonsense the story called for. And he... Again, he just wanted to hurt everyone. So I guess the Bugle was not in great shape financially. So he came in as like an angel investor. And, okay. uh, you know, back in the day when Norman was introduced, he was introduced as being a socialite who ran in the same circles as Jameson. So before mm -hmm. he was outed as the Green Goblin and all this other nonsense happened, you know, they were they were quite chummy. So he comes back and he's like, oh, the Goblin was someone else. I was in witness protection in Europe. Don't worry about it. We're, we're all good. You know, I'm going to be cleared of all these charges. How about I give you, you know, the money to tide you over? I just want, you know, a little bit, a little bit of control in the Daily Bugle because he's the only person who knows Peter Parker, Spider-Man and, Sp and Peter Parker works there. So he, he wants that leverage. So he gives him the money. He takes over and suddenly the Bugle becomes an unfriendly place. It, it's really interesting. I always tell people like they may not like the way the clone saga ended, but this set up all the stories of the next 10 years. You know, this allowed Norman Osborn to be reintroduced into the public. He's just about to be in the movie. He's just about to be in ultimates. And then the character goes on to be the enemy of the entire Marvel universe in the civil war initiative, dark rain era. All that gets set up here. Cause this, this is a guy, you know, this is when it becomes not the green goblin. Who's the foe. But Norman Osborn, the evil industrialist, Marvel's version of Lex Luthor, like he's got all his superpowers as the goblin, but it's his money and influence that's really wrecking everyone's lives. So that's all set up here. It's actually a really interesting premise. Unfortunately, it doesn't go anywhere. During this, while this is going on. So obviously, like I said, Robbie's thinking about quitting because he's not he's not digging what Norman's doing. He doesn't dig the fact that there's a bounty on Spidey's head. As this is going on at Ravenscroft, some new administrators, Dean's. 
Dean's comments are ringing in my head. This is what the government, why I hate the government. <laughs> some new administrators are trying to cut costs. They decide to see some of the expensive security measures keeping Cletus Cassidy and Carnage in their cell. But as soon, as soon as power is cut, like, I mean, I don't even know if it's a panel. Carnage escapes and heads to find Spider-Man, and his first stop is the Daily Bugle. Boarding like an elevator. <laughs> so many people. So, <laughs> so many people. Once he gets there, he boards an elevator. Cletus is pleased to find Robbie's wife, Martha, en route to have lunch with her husband. When the elevator reaches its destination, the doors open to a horrifying scene as a bloody Martha lay on the floor with Carnage rules written in her own blood of, of the elevator walls. With Cletus gone. Luckily, Carnage only stabbed her arm and did not kill her, but Peter, as a witness to the aftermath, leaps into action, tracking Carnage down into a parking lot. Meanwhile, out in space, the Mir space station is under the threat of some oncoming asteroids. Luckily, the Silver Surfer was in the area using his power cosmic to save the space station and then heads to Earth. Coming upon the battle of Spider-Man and Carnage, Silver Surfer swoops in to assist, but the symbiote recognizes and immediately slides off of Cletus and heads down a sewer drain. Spidey lets Surfer in on what was going on, and Surfer says he has encountered the alien symbiotes before. Chasing the symbiote into the pipes below, the Surfer is caught unaware, and when he emerges to the surface, Spidey is horrified to see the symbiote has merged with the Silver Surfer, becoming the Carnage Cosmic. Realizing he is outmatched, Spider-Man can see that the Silver Surfer is still aware and is fighting for control of his body. Soon, the Surfer heads off to try to detach himself. Spidey, meanwhile, sees an agony-ridden Cletus Cassidy in a fetal position after his partner pretty much just left him and decides to take him to a hospital. But once Spider-Man arrives, cops immediately try to arrest him, casting on that bounty, baby. Uh, so Spidey leaves, flees the scene, and is trying to get in touch with the Avengers but uh, for a little bit of help, but it's a little, a little too early since they have just returned to this universe. This is right after uh, Heroes Reborn. So uh, they haven't reformed yet. He also tries to find X-Man, Nate Gray, and again, more people try to apprehend Spider-Man than listen to him for help. Returning to the hospital to check up. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Cletus, he learns that Cletus has advanced stomach cancer that is progressing at a rapid rate. Cletus Cassidy is definitely on the decline and possibly at death's door here. In space, the Carnage symbiote reflects on how it remembers who the surfer is when, in the past, the surfer arrived and, call, uh, and called Galactus to devour a planet that they had taken over. 
Silver Surfer then sees what the symbiote has gleaned in Cassidy's life, the mistreatment and psychosis of an insane man. Finally regaining control, the Silver Surfer looks to reunite the symbiote with Cassidy, but Spider-Man won't have it. No, it's not happening. You can't do this. There's no way. But then Spider-Man comes to his senses. He, even though he knows Spider uh, that Cletus is going to die and the cancer is going to kill him, he understands that he would rather have the symbiote on Cletus instead of it being on the Silver Surfer. <laughs> I would probably choose that, too. I'm just saying. When the symbiote finally makes its way back onto Cletus, Carnage arises from his hospital bed. But do you think he's got, you know, does he say thank you? No, he does not. He is not very grateful at all. Looks to go on a murderous rampage immediately. Uh, but some quick thinking by the Silver Surfer allows him to encase Cletus in an unbreakable shell of ethereal energy, where he says both can take a very long time to contemplate their previous misdeeds. And that, my friends, is the two issues of the Carnage Cosmic. Derry, I'm throwing it to you, buddy. We talked already a good bit about this story. You know, we just made it through Savage Rebirth and the Carnage Cosmic. Give us your thoughts, man. What do you think? One, one of my favorite scenes, you mentioned it, but this takes place right after Heroes Reborn. So in 1996, the Onslaught crossover gets rid of all the classic Marvel characters, pretty much except for Spider-Man. They go off, they have their own adventures, Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee are involved. And then this issue picks up right when they come back, and it has the best caption of all time, because the very first page of issue 430 before carnage or the silver surfer even seen has spider-man rejoicing the fact that the avengers and the fantastic four have returned <laughs> and he says i have no idea how this happened but i'm so excited and then there is a caption box that is lettered by someone clearly different than everyone else on this page that says <laughs> spider-man actually does know how they came back because he's in this miniseries that hasn't shipped yet but make sure to check it out this summer uh which is the Heroes Return miniseries, which is not worth reading. But I love that because this whole thing was so haphazard that it was like, oh, he's excited they came back. Oh, wait, we decided he was going to be part of the story where they came back. And it's just one of those uh, things where I really appreciated that. The other thing I really liked about this story was the Thunderbolts cameo. And the Thunderbolts are one of my favorite Marvel concepts of right. all time. And this is set where you don't yet know their true nature. So they get to hang around in the background. And again, it's this idea of like, are we going to help Spider-Man or are we going to turn him in? Because a million dollars sounds pretty good. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, Spidey can't win. But even if he can't win, he's still got four to five books coming out every month and he's still Marvel's biggest moneymaker. It's this like cool inversion of the... Um, you know, the traditional setup. It's like our, our, our underdog, our most unliked character proves to be the most successful. So we're just going to pile more crap on top. And uh, I love that. The, the other thing that I really enjoy, and you guys were laughing about it during the synopsis, was halfway through this story, you see a bunch of police officers or hospital guards. I'm not 100% sure what they are. They're, they're talking about how Cletus has the advanced cancer and he might not make the night. And one of them is like dunking a donut into a cup of coffee and it's just like yeah that's a damn shame and then they start talking about whatever's on tv and it's just one of those things where it's like <laughs> yeah all right no one wants to make light of someone passing away in terrible pain but like in canon this is the worst serial killer has ever existed so it was right, just dude. it was just kind of funny to see these these career cops just being like yeah you know it's it's terrible we can't make his pain last see what's on the other channel it's just a funny scene. right dude well yeah you know some of the small things that i kind of left out of the synopsis you know i stuck to the main you know the main steak of what we're getting here that that uh that steak dinner but i mean we've got we've got a lot of I, well you mentioned the thunderbolts that's one thing mj and 
Peter kind of relationship drama that's going on in this. Then we have we definitely have Robbie Robertson and his wife uh, going through some yeah. stuff in this as well. And I felt sorry for Robbie. Like she's like, all you want to do is just chase the story. You don't have any time for me. And I'm like, oh, come on, Martha. I mean, the guy's trying to provide for you. You know, he's a news. He's, he's a news guy. Come on. He's going to do his thing. Ah, you, I felt you know, bad it's, for him. it's very tough to do story arc for Robbie because Robbie's one of my favorite supporting characters of all time but he was introduced uh you know first of all to make the the cast a little bit more diverse because he's, he's one of uh Spider-Man's first black supporting characters but also to like balance out Jonah who at times would be like a cartoon Nazi so like yeah. having our you couldn't believe that he was in the publishing business you know <laughs> right. you needed somebody within there but but that happens you get like yeah. think about Rupert Murdoch a very bombastic in your face guy well you need yeah. somebody to be like well this has got to be news still yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> even the post has to run some real news. And I'm sure there's, there, I'm sure there's a Robbie Robertson at the post. You know, like, really guys. I think there probably was at one point, someone at the post at this point, I, I don't, I can't believe the post still gets published, but yeah, uh, but, but you're right. <laughs> Once exactly. upon a the, time. Yeah. The, the, the bugle, the bugle is the post and, and there's gotta be Robbie is the reason that they keep getting published. They don't, they don't bury, they don't get buried in lawsuits, but, but that also makes him a different character to write because it's like, every time you want to do something with him, it's like, how flawed are you going to make him before, you know, Jonah has to be the, the good guy. So here it's like, okay, we're going to put all the drama on the wife or like when they did the tombstone story, it was like, Oh, I'm not that person anymore. You know, Robbie has a sketchy past. And it's all these other things, but it always comes back to the, the same point where it's like, yeah, Robbie's a good guy. You know, I don't, I don't buy all this drama. I did like the way they introduced uh, his wife, particularly being the victim, because it gave credence to what she was saying, which was you put yourself right. in danger. And why is that such a big deal? Well, now I got hurt and all I did was come here to, to go out and bring you lunch. So I, yeah, I, I like that because, you know, this 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 story does end with him resigning. And it's not the first time and it won't be the last time. But it was one of those things where it was like, what is the Daily Bugle going to be when the people in charge are Jonah and Norman, who is an even worse right. Jonah, and the conscience right. is gone. So, again, that sets up a more interesting story that, and I say this a lot, doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> but I mean, and let's also, like, be fair I see her point of view, you know, like I work in communication, so I work terrible hours. Like, okay, the last, you know, I'm off Wednesdays and Thursdays, shitty days to be off. The last three days I worked, I worked 1 p.m. to 1 a.m., 1 p.m. to 2 a.m., and 1.30 to 1 a.m. You know, those are bad hours. She doesn't see him. She loves him. She wants to be around him. And I don't want it to sound like she, like, nagged him into quitting. He quits because Norman Osborne's a son of a bitch. He quits because Norman Osborne is making this to where, like, he can't do it in the way he wants to, and he can't be the man and the person he wants to be. It's not just because his wife is like, man, you're kind of throwing yourself into this and forgetting me it's 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 a bit all of it so i don't want to throw her under the bus and be like oh this you know how those ladies are always making <laughs> men do things they don't want to do it's not really like that it's a nuanced situation where and, and as somebody i'm going to be 43 this year and as you get older it's weird as you get older the, the it, you come through a lot of crossroads as you grow up as, as you go through life but man you blow through so many of them and as you get older a lot more apparent, a lot more stop oh, signs, a yeah. lot more four-way oh, stops, a yeah. lot more traffic lights, a lot more weird merge lanes for some reason. <laughs> but uh, but the, the point is, he's at a crossroad. 
And there's a lot of reasons for this. It's not just like, just like a crossroad. It's two streets. Sometimes on each side, it could be different names. It's like, here's his wife. Here's what he does at the paper. And here's, you know, who he thinks he is and who he wants to be. And he's got to find a way to reconcile all that. And at the end of these two issues, the only way he can figure out how to do so is to resign. And of course, and I think that's great mockingly to an extent because sort of an <laughs> asshole but my friend once my friend once said uh he said dean you are the michael jordan of being a son of a bitch um which you know i, I try and be nice but all i could think of while i was reading this and it's a good story i don't want to take away from it is the melodramatic song fred jones part two by ben folds which is about a guy who's retiring from the newspaper after 25 years and he's really sad it just reminded me of that because he's like it's time it's time and there's the line in the song it's time i like the song i like this uh subplot i listened to that song and thought and like thought about it might have cheapened it a little might have made it a little <laughs> too melodramatic but i really do honestly suggest though listen to the song as you read the subplot it goes together pretty nicely it is essentially the amazing spider-man equivalent of pink floyd and the wizard of oz and lsd you put it together works wow. great this is suggested from <laughs> but i really i really like that subplot and i really like the mary jane one because you know honestly peter parker you're a fucking idiot like these people want a million dollars take the train take the train the right, one thing that we can say about new york city in like the late 90s is that the train system had gotten a little better it was a little cleaned up it's a little less dangerous you know that it yep. wasn't like 1986 or what the fuck ever so like take the train bro people want to kill you and the only way they'll know it's you is if if you put on these clothes so don't wear those clothes and you'll be safe and he's like ah, i guess mary jane would be upset why wouldn't she be why yeah would she not right be? Dude. It's like, you know it's like you know my, my girlfriend will find out that you know i drove to work while i was really dizzy and i like threw up on the way it's like i'm mad at you for going i'm like what's the big deal why wouldn't she be upset i put myself in danger and i made myself feel uncomfortable for no reason granted it's probably a lot cooler to swing across the skyscrapers of Manhattan than throw up on yourself while you're driving. But at the same right. time, I understand why both of our significant others weren't into this endeavor. You know, I mean, you know, we both could have died. You know, I mean, that's right. the thing. Like, why are you putting yourself in danger here, Peter Parker? So, I mean, that's, that's another good thing. Although, I didn't, it's weird that like Mary Jane apparently hangs out with like the most sitcom ladies ever. This lady goes from like bitching at her about Peter. Her other friend's like, oh, he's not that bad. Then the one lady goes from like complaining, bitching about Peter to, oh, yeah, men like to do it though, right? Like, <laughs> like oh, you know, I, I mean, it's, so it's just like, it's just like an episode of like a show that they made to uh, compete with friends that wasn't friends. That's how that mm -hmm. felt. But, I'm, but I know that sounds bad. But it works, guys. It really was a fun little thing to read. It was almost like a Marvel Betty and Veronica type situation in a way with three people. It honestly works. It felt it feels of its time. It feels 90s. But it was cool. And of course, like Mary Jane's upset. And uh, also she's trying to eat in the school cafeteria. Bad idea. Bad idea. Yeah. Those were a couple of subplots I really liked there. I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but I'm getting off it now.
that that's actually how the plot line resolves is you said he wear wear different clothes that's where we get the characters the slingers from. the slingers right yeah uh, yeah right. yeah because right. I, another couple of months after this i i think so if i have my timing right is is someone's just like well, why don't you just make a different superhero persona like there's there's dozens of them out there no one's going to notice it so it's a weird thing then you can do whatever you want when this nonsense is over you go back and then each book each own creative team came up with one and and that's what you had for for a couple of months so it's it's funny you're like why doesn't he do that and it's like oh yeah it's a good idea they 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 did that so well i mean but like he also already had two costumes i'm not saying he had to go back to the black one but bro just make another one like you you already did this like he stopped i don't know what to do you mean you don't know how to do the thing you've already done guess not well well the the real thing is they needed they needed to have you know four costumes it was you know they they wanted that book to become something like they wanted the slingers to be something it never did really be anything but that's the that's the thing you know you couldn't just put on another costume let's get four characters let's get things going and you're right the slingers you know that was that that is a really fun way to wrap this uh million dollar bounty up yeah yeah. let's take a couple minutes now this is an audio podcast i don't know if i'm going to be able to do this justice but i'm going to share my screen with the boys and we're going to just talk a couple minutes on what we think of joe bennett's revelation of carnage on the silver surfer and i'm going to share this with you guys i don't know if you can see my screen or not yeah dean we'll start with you i mean there it is buddy in all its glory yeah. that's the debut of carnage and silver surfer as one well, I mean, first off, I appreciate that even though he's absorbed the Silver Surfer, still really into pointy stuff. Like, you know, <laughs> in fact, he's made the uh, he's made the, he's made the surfboard pointy, so I like it. Like, we're sticking with the brand uh, yep. card. It's, it's really weird when it comes to lettering in a comic book. You only really notice if it's really shitty or really good, and this is a situation yeah. where it's really good. They have highlighted the words uh, madness, outrage, wrath, chaos, carnage, cosmic, carnage, cosmic, desires, emotion. They've really done a good job, I, I think, you just as you read it, where you're like, oh, wow, now this guy is insane and has the powers of the Silver Surfer and is driving Norinrad himself, the Sentinel of the Spaceway. <laughs> insane. Uh, so I like it. Uh, I, I think it's it, it's a great way to end the first issue. I mean, you're once upon a time, I think this was really factored in more. I think now that you write more for the trade, people care about this less. But like I was reading an interview with Larry Hama the other day. And he used to talk about how he plotted by the page. That like mm. he wanted the end of every page to make you want to turn the next page. This is a perfect way to end a comic book. And I mean, it, and it, there, it, it's it, it's probably a smidge cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason. Formulas are formulas for a reason because they fucking work. And they, work. they didn't try and gussy this up. They tried. They give you a slightly scared but still brave looking Spider Man looking at what is arguably the biggest threat to hit the Earth since you know the birth of Victor Von Doom or the arrival of Galactus. Or yeah, I mean, I just think it's I think it's a great way to end it. I don't know much about Joe Bennett, you know. To be honest, I knew he drew Spider Man around this time. This is this is really good. You can't. You, you can't ask for more power out of it. You can't ask for more danger and you can't ask for a better panel to make you be like, when is 431 going to be in my hands? <laughs> <laughs> That's what's been fun about this is that we've talked about like different artists take on Carnage and what he looks like. And, you know, here we have another example of a different take. I mean, it's not completely different, but obviously we're, we're trying to get across the fact that, hey, this is Carnage and the Silver Surfer all one. Uh, you know, this is 
the Carnage Cosmic. It looks like Joe definitely leans toward a more fluid, not bleeding, but more fluid. Like it's just kind of dripping in some aspects um, off of uh, off the Silver Surfer. But uh, Derry, what it do you think, man? What do you think of her? It does. And I think, uh, yeah, I agree. I like it. <laughs> what do you think, Derry? Yeah, I, I really like this design. Uh, I, I think it's 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 fun to watch the Carnage symbiote evolve because it's it's been on Cletus who's not with it all the time. So it becomes this very fluid thing. It's not venom. It's not controlled. And Eddie Brock is all about his control, right? He's got, he's got to know where things are going. But when it goes on to the surfer, you know, the surfer is a character who's like this, this fallen angel, this star that's been trapped on earth. So it's funny to see carnage wrap around that, but keep the same basic shape. But yeah, those, you know, the points, the spikes, the blood red, it's like, it's carnage, but at the same time, it's, it's not, not the surfer. I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly. It's this, it's this idea. It's almost like Alex Ross once described Bizarro as from a distance, he should look like Superman. And that's the terrifying thing is you think you're about to be saved, but you're not because this dark evil version is going to show up. You don't know what he's going to do. It's the same thing here from a distance. You might think this is the surfer. This is going to save me. And then as he gets closer and you see the points and the glint off everything, you realize, oh no, that's the most evil supervillain wrapped around the most powerful powerful superhero we're all gonna die and it's gonna be really 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 <laughs> bad so i right. i love this design i think it's perfect i think it's a great way to introduce him in this story because again it's it's simple it's like you, you know what you're getting from a and b and they squished it together and they went for something very iconic and and i i think that you know the the board is one of kirby's most classic designs and carnage is like, yeah, sure. Uh, flying surfboard. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Just make it blood red. And we're, we're going with it. I'm going <laughs> to wreck everything I can, but I'm staying on the surfboard. It's like, it just makes sense to me. Okay. Dean, you know, you've, you've jumped in here. You talked about some of the subplots. I mean, give us your thoughts on the main parts of the book here, how we, how things were wrapped up in this story. What are your, what are your final thoughts here on the two issues? Well, you know, I have a, Still a ton of thoughts, amazingly, for two issues. Um, <laughs> first off, kudos to Carnage for getting rid of the dude, the rich guy who parked in the handicapped spot. And all of a sudden, <laughs> man of the people, Carnage. I honestly, he's like, he's like, hey, man, you know, you parked in a handicapped spot. He's like, I don't give a fuck. And he's like, dude, I was telling you so you didn't get a ticket. For whatever reason, I believe him. For whatever reason, yeah. I feel like Carnage is trying yeah. to do somebody a solid. Like, you just put a nickel in. Like, Carnage. Yeah. he lived in New York. This is just what you do. Hey, you can't park yeah. there. You're trying to do somebody a solid. <laughs> so... <laughs> But then, yeah, he's like, you fat cats think you can do whatever you want. No war but the class war for Cletus Cassidy. I appreciate that. <laughs> and then Spider-Man gets in on it, too. He's like, you, you parked in handicap spots? Yeah, you sort of deserve this. <laughs> um, the real villain here? <laughs> I think I haven't read as much Carnage stuff as, uh, as, as some people have, maybe. But it's very interesting. We read the last, uh, the last web of Carnage where Carnage, we get spider Carnage, and he leaves, you know, the symbiote leaves... Uh, Cletus for Ben Riley, and then here jumps off so you get the Silver Surfer. Man, Cletus Cassidy, what a symbiote cuck. There's nobody that this symbiote would not leave him for, and he's gonna die. Like both times, he's just gonna die. He does not care. Just, and, I don't, and I don't, you know, it's not that I'm like the cops when it comes to Cletus Cassidy. It's like, oh, too bad this guy who's murdered 300 people is gonna die horrifically. It's so funny how like it's so different the relationship between, like you said, Venom and Eddie Brock. Where like they care about each other. The Eddie Brock, the Venom symbiote would not have just like left him like immediately for the Surfer. He'd have 
told Eddie, he's like, hey, we got to kill the surfer. I hate that guy. He killed a bunch of innocents. And Eddie'd be like, yeah, let's kill him. This guy's like, fuck him. I need more power and I need to do it now. Fuck you, Cletus. So it's, I don't know. I did not realize that Carnage was just such a, uh, I don't know, like second choice, you know, for, uh, for, for, for the symbiote. I really like that because I, I, do too. Again, I, I go back to like Carnage is a kid. Right. Like we right. don't know how long Venom was on Battle World. We don't know how right. long he was in that machine. He could be a senior citizen. He could be middle aged for symbiotes. When he gets on Spider-Man, he's happy to be there. When he gets on Eddie, he's happy to be there. When he gets on Flash later, he's happy to be there. And he's incredibly powerful. But Carnage is just like this little bit. No one planned on it. You know, he's a kid. He's a toddler. He's just wandering around. So I kind of love the fact that he'd just jump around and be like, oh, I'm on this guy. And that was cool. But this guy seems to be able to fly into space. I remember space, or at least my parents do. I'm going to see what happens here. And then, like, DeFalco does a really good job of expanding on that mythology. Like, we all take this for granted. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now with like the character of Null and how popular the symbiotes are, like for a long time, this was the closest thing we got to world building. Like the idea that right. Surfer led Galactus not to their home world, but a world the symbiotes had taken over. And my favorite line of dialogue in the entire thing is when Surfer sees the symbiote, and again, the Surfer, the herald of Galactus, the most powerful Marvel superhero, he's like, what is that thing? How have you not killed it already? And to see the Surfer being terrified of this pile of red goop is great, because you see the fact that, like, this thing was brought to Earth by accident. No one had any idea what it was. And Surfer is like, no, that thing, if you let it reproduce and feed like it wants to, it's going to take over the entire world. And none of you are even going to know it. You're going to be one giant hive mind that my old boss would have eaten with no problem. You're not going to have right. facilities necessary to outthink him next time he shows up. So I the love The only that. planet that he's ever been like, boy, I'm glad I let Galactus eat that one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, dude. Right. Good thing we got here. Look at these fucks. It's you know it's it's funny and I would only I would only go into this with you guys and all of our listeners but if you actually read the original Kirby and Lee coming of Galactus there actually is a line of dialogue from the watcher that says why Galactus are you eating earth this is the first time you've ever eaten a planet of intelligent life and it's never referenced anywhere else Galactus obviously eats planets full of intelligent life and dozens right. of other stories but the first time we see the character stand the man does his best to try to say why why are you doing this now and i kind of like the idea that if you consider that as canon this it's almost the silver surfer saying like once you've been possessed by that symbiote you're not alive anymore you right. you have an infection you you have fungi and spores and everything else and your old life isn't going to be worth it and you almost see that with cletus because the second the thing comes off suddenly he's got advanced stomach cancer that no one seemed to know that even though he's gonna die in five minutes seconds and it's not just him this is picked up later on by other people i think eddie brock's had like sick cancer like six or seven different times like this is a thing like normal humans are not meant to have these symbiotes so again i like credit to defalco it's like you you did a lot of work in two issues and we're still using that mythology 20 years later so 
great. Thank you. I like the scene too, where Norrin Rad is like thinking about it and he's trying to essentially like, I don't know, Zen Buddhist his way out of this one, <laughs> you know, but power to him because he's right. Like every time, you know, most people, they fight, they burn themselves out and they just die. And he's like, listen, I just got to show this little, it's a little fella toddler who don't know nothing. I got to show him some compassion. But like, I really like the scene where it's like Galactus was there in space and they were all like that, you know, like all over the asteroids and stuff. Uh, and great to give them the, uh, the crow style generational memory where like everybody remembers this and everybody's looking for it. Uh, I also like how the symbiote like got the silver surfer was like one of the oldest tricks in the book, you know, just lured him into yeah. the sewer where he couldn't right. go around anything. And this dropped on him. Ha ha. I got you all in all. Like I said, the whole thing, there's really not a bad part of any of it. So I highly recommend it. It's well drawn. It's well written. A couple really great splash pages of just classic Spider-Man. Just if you, if you like him swinging between buildings, I think you get like three of those that look good where he's thinking about every problem he's ever had. Like, it's like Neri said, great world building, great characterization, great action. If you're looking for more in a two issue story from 1998, I don't know, get a vertigo comic. <laughs> and I'm not mad about that. I like lots of Vertigo comics, yeah. but like, uh, you know, I don't mean to, or Pantographics. I'm not against these things. I don't mean to sound as demeaning, but you can't, there, it would be, I would be hard pressed to get like more out of a, you know, a single, like one single title, two issues, Superhero 1998. I think this is probably the best you could do. I love that he tries compassion on him because it's just one of those things where it's like, Spider-Man is completely out of his element, right? And he has right. compassion. He doesn't want to see anyone die. But the surfer is different. The surfer has condemned entire worlds, entire system. Galactus has taken out entire potentialities of, of life. And, and Surfer is responsible for that. And he knows that. And he's coming to terms with it. That's his entire arc over the decades. And even here, confronting this thing that, he, again, he is afraid of. He knows how dangerous it can be. He's like, we, we can't kill it. Life is too precious. It's just too precious, you know? And But a minute he, ago, he wanted to kill it. Like oh, yeah, yeah, up, yeah. He's like, kill that thing. And then he's like, <laughs> Listen. But once he's on it, once they realize how similar they are, you you actually see the surfer grow. Because right. once it's on him and he's like, oh, man, I can do all these amazing things. And this thing caught me. This thing's on me. Just like all right. those living beings that were destroyed that I said probably, you know, were at the end of their lives. So I like also, that. I, I like think Cletus factors into that. You yeah. know, it's like yeah. Silver Surfer. Like maybe he would have just killed the symbiote. But now a guy is going to die. And I don't care yeah, how bad right. that guy is. Yeah. Like that guy is a guy, is a person, and he does not deserve to die. I think that yeah. probably played into it some, but it yeah. is funny to watch that 180. Kill that. Yeah. No way, don't. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, it's great. I thought it was a I thought it was a great character moment for the surfer. Cause again, when when characters like that show up in a Spider-Man book, it's just kind of like, okay, you can end 99% of the stories that Spider-Man finds himself in. How are you gonna interestingly interact? And I I again I thought he pulled it off to, you know defalco did a really good job here just saying how do i take the silver surfer of all people and show him a, a bit of this it's like well i'm gonna wrap this this awful blood red thing around him and see what he would do and the answer is like oh wait i have to find an inroad with you or else we're going to destroy this planet i love and i just i thought that was a great way of evolving the character arc the ethereal energy 
prison. So does anybody yeah. know how that unravels at any point later on down the road? <laughs> years, years later, the next time we'd see Carnage in a material way, I, I, I think it's in the first arc of New Avengers where Bendis... Yeah, when the Sentry rips him in half. Yeah, when the Sentry ah. rips him in half. And, and Bendis has said on numerous interviews, he didn't read any of the books before he came on. Like, <laughs> that's why, that's why, for, when he writes Avengers Disassembled, the very first thing he does is break up the team and bring in all these other characters so that it's enough to read the other 499 issues. Like, I, I get that, but it's like with Carnage, Ooh. he just says... He just has Carnage show up in the raft, the the big prison at the time, the the Rikers Island annex, and then right. the the Sentry, the Superman analog, rips the Joker analog in half, and then you know that goes to be on its own thing. And Carnage is still published today. But yeah, to answer your question, I, I don't think there's ever a story where someone says, "Oh well, you know, Carnage is still a statue. We should maybe fix that." I I don't think that's ever done. They probably yeah, put it I in think. an airport. They probably put it at Newark. You know, <laughs> Newark, definitely Newark. Not not LaGuardia. <laughs> That's probably where it it's is. It's in Newark. That's it's in Newark. Can it accepted? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny because on the one hand, the Silver Surfer's like, "Can't kill. I got to kill him. Can't kill him." Now he's like, "Don't kill him, but leave him in a state that is arguably worse than death." <laughs> yeah. You know, dude, he's not, he's not doing so hot. I'm sure, standing in one spot for eternity. There's going to yeah, be you know an issue. If he's yeah, and if he's not crazy now, all right, right let's just right. see how this works. <laughs> Silver Surfer is against the death penalty, but really into solitary confinement. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> really, yeah. really. Life without parole, solitary confinement—that's fine. We're just gonna right. nothing bad's gonna happen from that. He's like, he's like, listen, I saw your Supermax in Colorado, and I'm thinking about building one in space. <laughs> but uh, speaking of the surfer, though, one of the more interesting things that they touch on here that I wish they had gotten into a little more when he was fighting is that this is a period of time where, like, I think J.M.D. Matisse is writing Silver Surfer. He's on Earth more. And uh, he's actually going out with Alicia uh, Alicia Richards, the Things eggs, and the Things coming back. And he mentions, oh, I hope this doesn't make things weird. Right. Bro, everything is gonna, this gonna make things weird. <laughs> like, how could it not? How could you have the power of cosmic and have no, I don't know, cosmic awareness like Captain Marvel? Like, you know, something. Like, how could you, well, I hope this doesn't make things weird. You know, it's gonna. But I also wish that, like, when he was fighting Carnage, he had, like, thought about Alicia a little bit. I think that, mm. you know, if we're gonna nitpick it, you know, I mean, because it's hard to find anything wrong with these uh, two issues. That's probably the nitpickiest thing I could find is Manny probably should have mentioned her when he was, I don't know, fighting for his life. Yeah, the, the only nitpick I have, and I didn't have it at the time, but reading it now, it's like he, DeFalco clearly didn't envision people reading these on their own because these are written to be just issues 430 and 431, like all these subplots continue on all these characters that you don't necessarily know if you haven't read some of the other more recent issues show up have something to do and then move on with something else it's like i feel like today a lot of that would be scaled back so a new reader yeah. could potentially pick it up and just focus on you know the title fight but reading these it's like oh yeah that's just how things were at the time it's like picking up the quote-unquote Dark Phoenix saga, you got to read five other plots before Jean Grey dies on the moon. It's like he did not envision you just picking up those three issues. Right. And uh, it's just funny to see how many, how far we've come in, in the ensuing years. Whatever happens to that kid who wants to take Peter out for the... Uh, <gasps> he the gets killed! And let me just say this. I don't want this to sound like a, like uh, married with children, like a Mal Bundy or something. But that kid is like, hey, do you want to go to the Knicks game tonight? And Peter's like... 
Yeah, he doesn't ask his wife. He doesn't talk to his girlfriend. I have a girlfriend of 10 years. Y'all are married. This isn't a bad thing. But nobody can make that decision without consulting their significant other. And they shouldn't. Honestly, did y'all have plans? What were we going to do? Most of the time, it's fine. Like, if I'm like, hey, Emily, you know, uh, you know, my friend's going to, you know, we're going to go to the arcade. Uh, is that cool? You know, you're not really asking permission. You just want to make sure you're not fucking anything up that you already had going on. Right. Or if she right. had a bad day, I had a bad day. Can you come up? Sure, whatever. That's arguably the most unrealistic thing that happens in a book where a symbiote takes over the sigil of the spaceways who used to be the Herald of Galactus, a guy who eats planets. Okay, like this is arguably the most unreal. Sure, the only if I can uh, spend my money on the most expensive part, the beer and food, bro. That you cannot do that, Peter. That is a bad husband. You cannot do that. I love that character, Billy Walters. I, I love him so much. He He's introduced to like flesh out the Daily Bugle for this period of time. He's, as far as I remember, he's killed violently and he's never mentioned again. He's that like, sucks, oh, man. wow. <laughs> he like, I, I like him. He, he honestly, yeah. like, I've been in broadcasting for like 20 years. He reminded me of a young me in broadcasting. Like, yeah. you're in there. You're trying to make friends with the people who have been there before. You want to prove that you know what you're doing, you know, but you're also unsure of yourself. I like the guy. That sucks. That sucks. Bring him back. I bring Yeah, I'm, back. I'm a fan as well. I, I, I hope they bring him back. And uh, what are they? Oh, they're starting, they're starting the new Amazing Spider-Man next month. So who yeah, knows? Well, maybe Billy Walters can return. Yeah, maybe he'll have like <laughs> laser zappers too. <laughs> Has right. anybody in the Marvel or DC universe ever been dead and just, just come back, but like they were a normal guy and just going to do normal guy things? Like, I don't think that happens. Like, anybody who was normal and died comes back and they're like, now I have the power of Beelzebub and I'm going to do this. Like, nobody's ever like, you know what? I'm going back to the office. I died. Yep. I got brought back by the specter. And now I'm going to just, you know, go back to my life. That doesn't happen. I think there was an Astro City story about that where they were like, yeah, like someone someone gets brought back and it's like, oh, were you a member of the Honor Guard? It's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm just Bob. And it's like, oh, OK, cool. Well, enjoy your second chance at life. Normally when this happens, it's a super cosmic event, but you slip through. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, speed, yeah. Bob. That's awesome. Well, let's get into what if number 108 here, the greatest sacrifice. Uh, this drops very shortly after these two issues. Looks like it hit the shelves April of 1998. Uh, as mentioned before, yes, our writer stays the same. We got Tom DeFalco writing this. Sergio Cariello. I'm sure I'm butchering that and I apologize. Uh, pencils. Inked Sorry, by Sergio. Keith. Yeah, we are. Can we call you uh, Sergio? <laughs> Inked by Keith Champagne, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, and colored by Kevin Tinsley. So we'll go ahead and we'll hop into this what if here. If you're not familiar with the concept of, uh, of a what if comic, it takes a Marvel event and it tells an alternate take on it. So that's kind of what we're getting here. There, we're going to revisit the moment that Spider-Man reached out in that previous story to the Avengers, and he didn't get anybody to pick up. Well, I think Jarvis picked up, but he's like, nobody's home. Jarvis uh, also reads... very condescending when he did so. Like, he's like, yes, how he, do I even yes. know this is Spider-Man? Bro, he has the number that you answer. <laughs> <laughs> Who has uh, this number? Do you answer every call that comes into the mansion? That's yeah, weird, Jarvis. Jarvis. The Avengers take the initiative here, and they show up. The Avengers at this time are Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, Vision, Firestar and Justice. Uh, and they team up with Spider-Man uh, and battle the Carnage Cosmic. Each member tries to get the upper hand, unable to defeat him. And the more time goes by, the more dangerous Carnage Cosmic gets. 
When Carnage Cosmic lets loose, it's weird calling him that, lets loose a massive cosmic blast, the Avengers lie unconscious and defeated. Sometime later in the Avengers mansion, the team is recovering while Spidey gives them the lowdown on just what led to the symbiote taking over Silver Surfer. Now Carnage Cosmic is going around the world wreaking havoc, which we didn't get any of this in these first two issues. He's twisting the Eiffel Tower in the knots. He's balancing a pyramid on top of the, what I think is the Capitol building. He's doing some really insane stuff around the world. Spidey comes to the conclusion that it, the alien is permanently bonding with the Silver Surfer, and they're going to have a really tough time subduing him. However, there is no more time to discuss a plan as Carnage Cosmic makes his way back to New York. One of the main weapons that may work against the threat is Firestar's microwave beams but she's kind of reticent to use them in fear of killing the Silver Surfer. Becoming increasingly aggravated after battling Iron Man and Cap, Carnage Cosmic fires a humongous blast that levels parts of the city. I mean, this is, it's massive. Enraged, Thor battles with Carnage Cosmic, and when the evil appears to be defeated, he gets Thor to pause for a bit of bargaining and then hits him with a hard blast, knocking him out. Awaiting on top of the hospital that houses Cletus Casti, Carnage Cosmic finds Spidey, Justice, and Firestar. Firestar finally unloads her powers on the Carnage Cosmic, and as the symbiote begins to melt off of him, Silver Surfer be begs for her not to stop and to vaporize every last bit of him and the alien. Able to regain some control, Silver Surfer flies into space. So he must have just had enough of these microwave beams. <laughs> he flies into space, detonating himself and the Carnage symbiote, leaving the heroes in awe at his sacrifice and hence ends the greatest sacrifice. So Dean, I'm starting with you, buddy. Here's our, what if, you know, it's, it's a really good. What if I am uh, predisposed to enjoying what ifs, same, but um, same. so, so it's easy to get me, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun. It basically allows you to delve into the horror of carnage having it, which part of the horror is just like, he just does stupid stuff like <laughs> twisting the Eiffel tower around and all that. Like he's playing jokes, but like at any right. time, a bunch of people could die just like, cause he takes out what appears to be like a dozen blocks. That's, I don't know how many, a hundred thousand people, 200,000 people. people. I don't know how that would work. It would depend on the area in New York city. I really think it was funny how, uh, even during this crisis, they're like, okay, we're all getting together. Uh, there's no Avengers yet. But somebody's really quick. I think it was Iron Man to be like, Justice and Firestar aren't actually Avengers yet, guys. <laughs> you're like, what the fuck does that matter right now? Can we please stop the uh, quasi, uh, you know, uh, omnipotent, you know, psycho from like destroying the world? Or is yeah. it more important that Justice's membership card have the right that you know the right little like stamp on it or whatever i thought it was funny too they're like you guys stay back uh firestar is the one who could uh who could fight him the best but have him stay back and then like tony stark needs all of these like he's like oh spider-man said this sonic frequency would work you know he's immune to flame ain't you got like a laser or flamethrower in that suit something you gotta have like he like shoot him with some like napalm rockets bro like you're a weapons guy like why don't you have more weapons for this and also i thought the same thing about thor it's like why doesn't thor just zap him with lightning that burns i'm pretty sure things burn because of lightning <laughs> and yours is magical lightning so it would like i don't know burn double like when you get 
get poisoned on a, on Final Fantasy, where like you're taking somebody hits right. you, you take damage every turn still, but you know you're still hitting them. So I felt like that would work. I don't know, but it's a what if. So nobody makes good decisions for the most part, except the yeah. Silver Surfer who nobly sacrifices himself, which seems to happen in like a lot of what ifs. Like that seems to be a big what if trope. Is the Silver Surfer's like ah. I'll go die, I guess. Yeah, somebody's um, got to die. Somebody's got to die. And honestly, as far as what ifs go, as long as you weren't like a citizen of the world, fairly low body count. All the Avengers make it. Spider-Man makes it. Only the Silver Surfer and the, and the symbiote die, uh, except for, you know, those people. Who cares about them? Am I right? <laughs> those those people never come back from the dead. So what does it matter? Um, it's <laughs> I it's like how Captain America like apparently jumped in the sewer to avoid being killed. Good call, Cap. <laughs> uh, I love Captain America, and I think at one point they were like, "What's his superpower?" I was like, "Really? If you read it, his superpower is that he never loses a fight. Like regardless mm-hmm. of what it takes for him to win this fight, he somehow wins. Like he would mm-hmm. put his shield in Galactus's eye, and he would like I don't know trip and fall over the Sears Tower, and then like drown in Lake Michigan. <laughs> That's what would happen, you know, if he fought him. Like this would just happen. And here we see Cap again. He you're like, oh, he cheated death. Of course he did. And he's so brave because he has Olympic level strength and, you know, dexterity and all that and a great shield and uh, a really, really bright outlook about the possibilities of the American future. None of which are carnage, but yet right. he is in there. <laughs> Fighting, you know, just doing his best to deal with him. I, how do you not respect Cap? Thor's a big dummy in this. Just the biggest dummy you've done ever seen. I love Dude. Thor, but like he just seems like he's just, he seems very slow. Like, why don't you why don't you take Carnage into space and rip him in half? That's what you should do, like the century would do later. But I mean, to be honest, I'll give I'll cut Thor some slack. They don't they think they can still save the Surfer. It's a shame that they can't. But all in all, it's just a lot of fun. I think it's drawn very well. I think the facial expressions are drawn like there's a there's a look of desperation of the Firestar Justice and Spider-Man as they're hanging back versus the look of desperation as Cap, Iron Man, and Thor on the front lines. I think that's a really good distinction, you know, as far as the way the facial uh, the facial depictions were rendered. And uh, I also think it's funny they're like, hey, Firestar, you the one who absolutely nails the weakness. You stay behind. Cap, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Cap, you bring your shield. Bring that positive outlook of the American future. No, but it's a great time. Derry, I'm sure you agree. Yeah, I, I love this issue. I, I missed it when it came out originally, so I was very excited to read this untold tale of uh, the Carnage Cosmic. Uh, a couple of things that jumped out at me were, I love the fact that in the two-issue story, the Avengers don't show up and everyone makes it to the end because without the quote unquote big guns, they got to find a different way. Uh, but here, when the Avengers do show up, they actually make things worse and the surfer yeah. ends up dying. And that just that strikes me as just a very Marvel story. Like when all the superheroes who don't even have their own book right now show up, it escalates things to the point where Carnage is suddenly like, oh, well, if the big guys are going to you know come out and do this to me, it's time for me to uh, you know call everyone a maroon and then go around and start committing... <laughs> acts of genocide throughout major metropolitan areas. So I, I thought that was great. I, I like that the damage came about because of the escalation that the main character would have thought was a good thing. My favorite part about this entire issue is Firestar. You know, Firestar is one of those classic Spider-Man characters. She was introduced in Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends. She showed up, she bopped around the Marvel Universe, and eventually she became an Avenger. And one of our previous episodes, we did the Squadron Supreme, where she actually saved the day by outwitting the villain 
champion. By... I'm a champion. Great morning ratings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I thought it was great that again, this this young woman with this these incredible powers, who by the way, in the Avengers book, it finds out they are giving her cancer and they gotta they gotta work their way around it. So again Aren't they also making her like infertile? Oh, was that a thing? Okay. I can't remember. Right. I could be thinking of something else. I, I haven't read the Perez Busiek early issues for a while, but yeah. I remember they were, it was hurting. It was hurting her. She had to change costumes. And isn't she wearing that costume in this? Like she wouldn't have this costume yet, would she? Yeah, the timing is a little not great, but but again, if you know, because she gets bit, a costume that will help, and this is the costume. Yeah, that will help. yeah. Okay, I want to yeah. make sure I knew you know she yeah. should be in her classic costume at this point. I, yeah, a lot of things should be going on. I mean, yeah. again, Listen, editors I just want the, a no prize. <laughs> editors are the hardest working people at these things, and and sure, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm not the least bit mad. And I don't remember when did this one come out. On sale date was April 1st of '98. So, oh, okay. yeah, right. I, so closer to the beginning. One thing, well, okay, can I get new Warriors outfit? I can't remember. They look similar. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'll nitpick on the cover because I don't think at any point do we get the symbiote covering the shield at all in this comic. I know he covers, he at one point, I think, gets a hold of Mjolnir, Thor's hammer, yeah. and, but I don't, I wanted to see that shield covered and used in some way, but it, it, it's not. It's, it's one of those, the covers, the covers a lie, man. Well, you can got blame me. Steve Rogers for being too damn good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. So, Derry, I mean, they upped the ante here. We got Carnage. It's not just versus Spider-Man now. Obviously, it's a bigger threat. We got to, you know, we got to bring in the Avengers, and this is just going to show us how much we're still outmatched by this insanity. I love that they they made a point of uh, Carnage melting the Statue of Liberty because again it's it's one of those like arbitrary things like Carnage acts out whether it's the symbiote being relatively young or Cletus saying, "Oh, you're going to put that idea on a pedestal. I'm going to knock it down. I'm going to pee on everything you love." Right. So I really thought that this was a great way of saying, "Okay, you've got the power of God for at least, you know, the next couple of minutes before, you know, someone reasserts control." And to just watch him do all these things just felt very honest because it's like yeah okay you know you don't have a grand plan you don't want to take over the world you don't want control you want the opposite and i thought that was executed very well the other thing that i i really liked more so in this issue than the other two the carnage cosmic seemed to reflect cletus's personality so it didn't just seem like carnage was wrapped around the surfer and it was the surfer poking his way through it was more like carnage it also reflects the personality of Cletus and now that's on him. And I like that again, mm-hmm. because it, it says like this suit is picking up everything. It's like a sponge. It's wrapped around this metalhead serial killer. It picked that nonsense up. It wrapped around the spider clone who was drowning in his own drama. It picked that up. It, it's, it's on the surfer who, you know, knows what a star feels like. He's picking that up. And, and I just love the idea that again, this character is evolving in a way that separates him and makes him unique from venom. And, and again, helps to explain why we, we have a movie of him and the character is still right. being published and all these other things when he dozens of epic other collection of his own <laughs> epic collections. Yes. I mean, nice. For real though, that's kind of a big deal. You know I mean? Like, like the, just to have like, to have like 25 issues that are like, Hey, these are the seminal carnage issues and yeah. they're important enough for us to put together and people want to buy them. I mean, I think that's a pretty big deal for a character, especially for a villain. You know, right. I mean, that's like, a good point too. You yeah. know, I we're, mean, like, yeah, Captain like... America's going to get a bunch of them, but yeah. there's still not a Doctor Doom epic collection. Mm-hmm. Well said. That's an excellent. Put it, put it on the agenda. 
But here's my question about it, about all this trilogy. And I wonder if you two can answer it. It is when are we going to get, you know, from the very first, Carnage's first appearance, what if the guy from the Metalhead concert with the knife got possessed by Carnage's symbiote? That's the one we need. Arguably the MVP of the trilogy. I will agree. I will 100% agree. Well, he definitely lives on in our freaking messages. <laughs> uh, that's for damn sure. Oh, yeah. one He's day. He's coming to our Mac day. and me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, man. That guy well, wanted to help, though. He, he I, did. Or were there two characters? One wanted to help. One was like, that's going too far. Yeah, one, one of them was like, I like the music, but yeah. no. And one of them was like, yeah. Let's think about this now. It's a big knife, too. It's not like he had like a Swiss army knife he had to unfold. Like, it was like a butcher knife. Like, he was going to kill somebody that day, whether it happened at the concert or not. Like, this was already on the agenda. Oh, that's great. But my point was that, like, for, you know, you're right. We saw the character develop to the point where he is economically and creatively and, and, and popular enough to get an epic collection, which I think is a really big deal for a villain. I really enjoyed this issue just because, uh, again, I mean, you know, people think of the Avengers now and it's like, you know, the most valuable media franchise in the world. And it's like this was not the case in 1998. Like none of these characters were the marquee characters. Like that's why Marvel still controlled them. They didn't control Spider-Man. And I just... I I love watching this story where all these people are outclassed. And, and again, you you know things would have ended up better if they hadn't shown up. And I just, this is such a perfect issue. And I'm so happy that I finally got to read it because I, I really, really appreciate today seeing how far these things have come. And again, Firestar, underrated character. Yeah. I like everything that she's shown up in. Uh, I, I think she's, you know, she's she's a classic Marvel. Her, her Everything she does, there's always a cost, but she she goes on anyway. Everyone's like, hey, you can end this right now. And it's like, yeah, but I don't know if that's the best decision. And she still comes through in the end. So again, if this if this is just like, are, if you're listening to this and you're a huge fan of Spider-Man and his amazing friends and you're like, I want more of that, well, pick this up. This, this, this got you covered. Yeah. As far as the Avengers showing up too, I th- and making things worse. I think some of it's timing. If they had shown up like 10 minutes earlier, they couldn't, because the plan of that, because they show up at the exact moment they're going to put this guy back on Cassidy. So if they were 10 minutes earlier, maybe, you know, you can be like, hey, this is a good plan. And, you know, they just go with it. Like, hey, but, you know, Silver Surfer is going to wrap him in some cosmic tinfoil. It's going to be fine. You know, I mean, like, but since they showed up at that moment, they had to make a choice right then. I think that's the problem would be like, you know, a firefighter. You show up to this situation and sometimes you make the wrong choice because you had to make the choice right then. And that's what they were. They were first responders who had to make a choice. It didn't work out, but I agree with you about Firestar, too. It's always fun to see her. I'm a Firestar Marvel Legends, one of my favorite characters. I have her on my uh, animation shelf. So mm, nice. she's in the uh, Amazing Friends get up. So talking about how late this, you know, this what if came out, we got six months after this. The series is over. Yeah, uh, issue yeah. issue one fourteen is the final one if uh, or I think final it's a what secret if Secret Wars Battle World thing, right? Yeah, twenty five yep. years yep. later. Yep, I was just looking that over. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the What If series, especially a lot of the earlier issues. And I I can remember going into we had you know we have this small store that sold just magazines and comics. It holds a nostalgic value that they carried a lot of different comics. And what if was one of the comics that they, ca- they carried uh, on the newsstand. And I would go over there, grab one. And, and I can remember, I think the, f- I did pick up, I'm pretty sure it was what if number one, volume two or volume two, number one, the, 
<clears throat> evolutionary evolutionary war, war. what if yeah yeah because yeah, okay. i remember the punishers in that with the big head and he's big like old head, right. killing <laughs> criminals, but now there was no need for that because <laughs> they're just like everybody's got to be in it he had an annual so like okay here you are yep but yeah so i can remember picking those up and it was a fun neat story that's why i appreciated what ifs and these two issues at least I never heard of them until probably legitimately 10 years ago at the most. Then all of a sudden my buddy's like, have you ever read these? And I'm like, no. It's like, well, yeah. they're really blowing up right now. People are really they getting interested. They were not big in their time. They no. was not. I mean, Spider-Man sold well. And I think Derry can back this up. But like at the time, I think the, the Marvel's big thing then was going to be was the return of the Avengers. As far as like their creative successes, the return of the Avengers and the early Marvel Knights stuff, you know, which was kind of half and half. The Inhumans mm -hmm. and Daredevil were great. Uh, Black Panther was great. Punisher was Punisher. You know, so I think Derry, like he was buying more comics then. I was went to college in 98. So I was able to go to a local comic book store again. But that's the way I understood it. Spider-Man sold well, but nobody thought nobody. When I when I went to the store in 98 in like September and got my account set up, nobody was like, oh, man, make sure you get these Carnage Cosmic back issues. <laughs> yeah, I mean? buddy. So I think you're right. I don't, I don't remember hearing about this until like two, at least 2005. What about you? Derry, did you pick this? You picked this up off the shelf then. Do you remember yeah. it being like a creative success? Did people like was Wizard talking about this or anything? No, I, again, it, it it was a weird time. I I got these on the shelves because I was buying ASM, but the, right the, this, this whole period of time, it's like everyone was talking about everything else, right? Like that's what the, I, that's the, kind of what I felt like. Yeah, the like the Heroes Reborn thing was a big deal because it was basically Marvel outsourcing. Like it's the it's the prelude. Right. We keep talking about Marvel Knights, but it's very important to remember Marvel Knights was saying take four characters or four franchises we're not using, and you over at Event Comics, you're going to make them. It was the same thing with right. Heroes Reborn. It's like you over at Wildstorm and Extreme or whatever Lifehill called his company at that time, you guys are going to make these. And the idea was, well, are we really going to come out of bankruptcy? Like everyone was focusing on all the other stuff, and this kind of seemed like the type of thing where it's like, well, no one's reading. This this book anyway you know we didn't recover from the clone saga as quickly as we like do whatever you want like i said they're gonna relaunch the book next year so i don't necessarily know that this got everyone up to speed but yet at the time it was just like oh okay this month we're trying this and again you you move on like no one mentions this random the fact that uh, carnage had the power to destroy the world no one mentions that after this right just, dude and of course it's defalco defalco i don't know how the what if structure works in regards to like do they just were they just like handing out like hey guys what if 108 who's got an idea and defalco's like well i got another idea and he just throws this out there what do you think well, uh, early on, like it had an it had an editor that I know was very proactive in trying to make things happen. I forget the editor when What If Volume Two started, but like, but if you go back and look, like Liefeld did some covers. They had some decent talent, and I think it was early on. It was easy because they're like, like the first one you mentioned. What if the Avengers lost the Evolutionary War? As time went on, I think it was harder to find moments that you would do a What If about. And so again, I don't know about uh, uh, I don't know exactly how it would have worked. At this time but the way it seems is i think they were i think they wanted what if i may have read this somewhere but don't quote me on it i think they wanted what if to be a little more in tune with cl things closer to what was going on so they okay. felt like it would sell more because you know like you said it's not going to last a lot longer here's something that happened recently it may have been and you know maybe tom defalco will hear this and he can answer the question it may have all been done at the same time it may have been done just a little bit later but yeah i do think at this time they were basically just trying to mine the individual books for what if ideas that were 
closer in in real time to when the what if would come out rather than you know like my favorite but the what if moment for me i remember it was the first time i went to the comic book store i only had like eight dollars which is not as much money as it seemed to the comic book store there was this what if and it was like what if number 41 like what if the avengers had fought galactus and it's like jim valentino's last marvel work like i think he wrote and penciled it and I remember just being like, wow, I went home and begged them. I was a dollar seventy five is a double sized issue. And um uh and like I remember going home and begging mom for the money and I had to clean up my room like really good to get it, but I got it. And I remember just thinking what a neat how neat it was that like the stories happen, but then more stories could have happened. And we can, you know, since it's a comic book, if you can draw it, it can happen. It's not like right. it's hard to do. I know they just did a what if cartoon, but that's hard. It takes a lot more to get that on a screen. On the other hand, you can draw this and write it you can make it happen so i'll get more in depth on my feelings on that issue there but like this really brought back those feelings of like an exciting what if that i just really like i would have cleaned my room for what if 108 that's, what I'm <laughs> to say. that's good the only other thing i i had in my notes was someone mentioned this before but at one point spider-man goes searching for nate gray x-man yeah oh, yeah i wanted to talk about that, you about that Right. That was another thing that I, I had forgotten about, but I, I, again, I don't know whose idea this was, but in the late 90s, after the Clone Saga, someone had the bright idea that Spider-Man and X-Man needed to be friends, and there were <laughs> numerous issues of Spider-Man where he and Nate Gray are just hanging out and chilling, and like he he's, he's his new like Daredevil or the Human Torch. Like, hey, I've got a problem, and this guy's outclassing me. I'm going to go find the X-Man. And, and to my knowledge, they had no overlap. Like they, there, there's no reason they should have been friends. It was like the most obvious marketing ploy. I, I don't remember <laughs> any of the stories. I tried reading them after I caught up on this, but yeah, that random reference of like, I'm going to see if the X-Man of it is available. Right. And I had to remember yeah. like at the time that would have been something that they were pushing, but obviously the character's not even drawn. You just have a random person mention it and then a crowd attacks him. But that, that really brought me back of like, yeah, that was a thing they were trying to make happen. Oh man, that was that was on my pull list. I was getting X Man. No, I, my my thing on it was uh, it was neat to see. I was unaware of their friendship, but I think it makes sense to an extent. Like Peter Parker would see a young person struggling with power and responsibility, and of course he would relate. And they would you know like each other. But what kind of like it's it it seems like he's surrounded by a very like what's a bohemian hippie cult. And right, like, dude, but when I don't Spider-Man know, comes, what? no idea where that came from. I said I liked wa- uh, reading X Men, and I don't remember any of that. <laughs> I right, don't right. know what's but going on there. But my thing is, it's like Spider Man comes down, and they're like, uh, "Aren't you a bad guy?" What Bohemian hippie cult is like into the mainstream media, especially what like the post analog? <laughs> like, like, oh, the newspapers told us you were bad. Cult people don't do that, man. Like, they just I don't understand. I mean, but again, you know, it's funny. It, 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 listen, they can't have X Men come solve the problem because X Men is powerful enough to solve the problem. So yeah, I, yeah. I get why it couldn't be found. It was a way to keep, you know, remind you, like, uh, excuse me, apparently Derry said they were pals. If they're pals at that time and you don't do this, people are asking a different question. Now, we're reading right. it yeah. 24 yeah. years later. If you don't, why did he just go get X-Men? You know, so Tom mm-hmm. DeFalco had to address it. It seems funnier now than, like, probably if you were reading the book at the time. But but I really liked it. Uh, I, I, th- I thought it was neat, and I was hoping I would pay to see X-Men versus... Uh, uh, Carnage Cosmic, absolutely. That's a fight I would watch. I would also watch our guy Cable fight Cosmic Carnage, and I would watch Cable fight X Man. So you know, <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an easy guy to get on 
on. I mean, you know, as long as there's a fight. I just, the only other thing I think I wanted to point out was at the top of uh, maybe page two or three of 431, there's a guy on like the very right who looks like Stan Lee. And I thought that yeah, was Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's got like a temple and he's got glasses and he's like, he's, he actually gets a line. So I'm pretty sure it is Stan Lee, you know, because he's, he's, you know, I can't remember what it is, but basically they're like, get out of here. And he's like, whoa. So thought it was fun. It's always fun. Like when we saw, it's funny to bookend it. In the first one, I saw the guy who looked like Paul Evans. And this yeah. time I saw the guy who right. looked like Stan Lee. And I feel like that brings everything together. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Symmetry. It's I like see. poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> it's like, it's like when the undertaker tombstone came three times in 1998 to win. <laughs> I'm All right. Well, let's go ahead. We'll get things wrapped up here. Like I said, it's been a fun journey, guys. We've done some awesome stuff here, covered a lot of ground, learned a lot about Cletus Cassidy, learned a lot about Carnage, Spider-Man, both versions of Spider-Man, Peter Parker. And of course, you know, we're talking also Ben Riley. Uh, so, yeah, we, we've, we've had a lot of fun. So uh, with that being said, let's go ahead. We'll get into plugs. This would be a good time to plug a sponsor of the W2M Network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Unspoken Issues, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W, the number two, M network to download Grammarly for free. Let's hear it, Dean. What do you got for the unspoken decade? Oh, uh, you know the unspoken decade. You can find us at uh, the unspoken uh, the unspoken We're very active on Facebook, thanks to Simbi fans' great work. Who he has listened to these uh, episodes. He's a big Carnage fan. Uh, he he doesn't want to talk on a podcast at this time. He does some great work though, but he really likes what we heard so far. I hope he likes this one too. So shout out to Simbi fan there. Uh, he does great work at the Facebook. Great work uh, on the website writing articles. I uh, I do the Twitter. Uh, so that means like, hey, man, four tweets a week. Look for them. They're there. You can see them. They're at Unspoken Decade. Uh, and, you know, just, you know, come by, hang out. We just got 5,000 uh, members of our community yeah. on Facebook. So that's kind of a big deal. Wow. I, you know, yeah. you know, we, there's a lot of people out there who really like the stuff we're doing. And we're going to keep doing it at those spots. And as I always say, one day I'm going to write something again. Maybe that'll be what Derry plugs. I'll write it. And I'll tell him <laughs> to plug it first. But uh, but no, that's where we're at. That's what you'll find us. I can tell you myself uh, and Chris Armstrong got together on Source Material, the comics podcast that I do. Anyway, we got together and talked about Morbius, uh, 2013 mm. Morbius, the Living Vampire. And I, as I told some guys on Twitter, I want to I'll give you four things and then I'll just tell you, listen to the podcast. and We'll connect the dots. Morbius, a hoodie, the rose and the ultimate nullifier. That's right. All four of those things pop up in our main part of the nine issue series uh, from 2013. It's a wild one. So Chris Sounds Armstrong like and I, 
let's just say we weren't totally impressed but hey you can go check it out and hear us uh hear us kind of gripe about that and uh, hey i will also plug we just had it recently on the metal hammer of doom i do a metal podcast with my buddy mark radlich and robert cooper we talked about macho man randy savage's 2003 be a man album uh we be got a man hold uh, but other than that, yeah, hey, it's the Unspoken Issues podcast. Look forward to, uh, we're, we're going to be dropping some more stuff here. I don't know what the next project is. I'm sure we'll talk about that off air, but uh, it's going to be happening soon. So for uh, Dean Compton, for Derry Waite, I am Jesse Starcher. We'll be talking to you soon. Let the carnage continue. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye.